Hello, I'm Eric Holdeman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters of all types. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews with people dealing with all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Here's today's program. This podcast is being sponsored by Dynamis a leading provider of information management software and security solutions. You can find them at dynamis.com. Technology is dominating our personal and professional lives. Because of that, cybersecurity has become an ever more important consideration. My guest today is Ray Pompom, F5 Director. We'll be discussing the current cybersecurity threats and precautionary measures that we can all take as organizations. Welcome, Ray, to Disaster Zone. Hey, good to see you. Or hear you. Yeah, that's right. We can see, we're doing this on Zoom so we can see one another, but recording the audio. So, so Ray, who is being targeted today by, I'll call them nefarious actors who want to do any number of things, for instance, disrupt operations, capture, capture private sector secrets, obtain personal data, or just plain ransomware attacks? Who's being targeted? Uh, everybody. <laughs> um, so you kind of w walk through a whole range of actors out there. Um, so, you know, I, I, part of my job is we do threat research, so we study all these bad guys. Actually, we don't even call them bad guys, just a lot of them are girls. Um, there's a there's a wide range of attackers going after a wide range of things. So you kind of touched on like what we call the APTs, the advanced persistent attackers. Those are the ones who are looking to steal secrets. Um, so those are the right right now they're they're after stealing information about the you know, pandemic bans vaccines or jockeying for political position. So those you know those are the difficult to, to block attackers. Um, you have like the NGOs, the political groups who are looking to do disruption. Um, through DDoS or doxing, where they actually break in and steal confidential information, such as, you know, uh, emails is a big one, and then leak those on the internet to try to, like, sway political opinion about things. And then you have the cyber criminals who are just out to, like, make money, and those are a lot of the ones doing the ransomware and, um, you know, breaking in and stealing credit card information or, or identity information. And they kind of go after whoever they can make a profit. And even if you say like, you don't think your organization is worth anything, well, you could get targeted for ransomware just because you may pay a few thousand dollars to get your stuff unlocked. Yeah, so, so no, no one's too small to be attacked. I, I used to say it's kind of like, you know, you use every part of the animal, you know? So <laughs> okay. even if you're too small, like a home computer, they can take it over and make it part of an IoT botnet. Or, you know, use it for spam relay or even phishing. A lot of attacks we see, they, they attack your email box and then they just email using your name to all your friends to phish. And right. actually, when you talk about the advanced attacker, they'll even go after things like, okay, I'm going to target the CEO or say the head of research for this organization. I'll target his entire friends and family because maybe I'll be able to move sideways and get to them. Okay. So, it's so even, if, even if you think you're pig's feet, someone will want a piece of you because they can use it, I guess. Yes, is yes. Your animal analogy there, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, are, are there certain threats that have arisen specifically as a result of the pandemic? 
That's an interesting question. I, mean, I get asked that one a lot. Um, yes and no. I mean, you kind of go back to the whole like the old fashioned means, you know, methods and, and opportunity kind of thing about like why, why are they doing this and what are they going for? So you're really the, the, the motivations haven't changed. They still are after money or secrets or whatever their aims are. So those stay the same. Um, the methods have kind of stayed the same as well. You know, the other fishing is the most popular. They'll spear fish you or, or just blind fish you. Um, or they'll, you know, pop an exploit on something you haven't patched or guess a password. But what, what's happened with the pandemic is, well, first of all, their income sources have shifted because there's a lot more folks working from home and a lot more detail going on. So it's like, okay, those are getting targeted more. There's a lot more we call credential stuffing where they're, they're jamming pad, um, known usernames and passwords and to break in. And do yeah, there's all these, numbers. there's a whole bunch more entry points, right? Exactly. And then people working from home. So there's a lot more remote access. So there's a lot of, you know, a better places to log in. And then there's a lot more people looking at, at social media and email because they're all you know, worrying about news. And what we saw in the pandemic was, first there was a lot of skinning of attacks and just like, hey, instead of saying like your account is locked or your bank account, here's you know, $100,000 if you just click here to this prince in Nigeria, it's, hey, read some things about you know, coronavirus or stimulus money. And now we're actually seeing that shift to the election. Like here's some stuff about BLM or Antifa or something that, you know, it's whatever lure they're going to get you to click. So there was yeah. definitely a ramp up of that. I think spear phishing, they found spell check. <laughs> yes. The, oh, they, uh, they, that was, that's kind of the old thing too. People is like, you know, if it's misspelled, it's, it's phishing, but if it's not, it's safe. They actually will just clone, like they'll take exactly like the Microsoft alarm you'll get to say your account's locked out yeah. or the bank notification. So it'll be exact. And sometimes it'll even be the real email. They'll just change out some fields. So yeah, it's, it's very tricky. And then you have to look at the web extension, right? They may have one letter that's different. They'll spell Bank of America, but they'll spell America differently. You know, I, right, or they'll put the name Bank of America as part of it. It may say Bank of America, but then you actually look at the whole world, it'll be like, you know, Billy Bob blog dot Bank of America, <laughs> you know, dot, yes. you know, chicken feathers dot com. <laughs> and, but you'll just see the Bank of America and go, oh, okay. But you know, it's getting harder and harder for your end users to try to figure this out, which is yeah, kind of where we are right. telling people is like, um, you know, you're, assume you're going to you're going to fall for a fish, and yeah. what does that mean to you? So I, I, you know. I think it's a Star Trek shields up <laughs> type of thing, right? Incoming. So uh, yeah, the movement of business operations to home environments, which you kind of uh, touched on already, happened very quickly. I mean, almost instantaneously. So. How did companies educate employees and secure devices so quickly? Were there, were there any safeguards, policies, practices? <laughs> I, 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 you're laughing. <laughs> well, because you know, the worked. first part of your, your statement was actually the more important one about the quickly. Yes. I mean, depending on some organizations, so the company I work for at Five, we were, I was already remote. A lot of us were remote. We're a technology company. We had the, the technology in place. We actually sell remote access software. Um, so we were, we were in a good position to do that, but there are a lot of organizations who a small percent of their workforce were remote schools. You know, how many of their teachers actually did remote stuff until the pandemic? And suddenly everybody's remote. So they're throwing up remote access VPN concentrators and in a panic. And then people were like, well, I don't know how to work this two-factor thing. I don't know how to work this split tunnel thing. And so, you know, sysadmins are just 
like, we got to make this work. And they're getting yelled at, make it work, make it work. And so they're turning off the security measures. Yeah. So yeah. We, we lost a lot of protections initially. And I think, that, you know, they're starting to come back on now. But for the first few months, it was more like get people up and running and then we'll figure out the security later. And maybe that was the right decision. Yeah. You know, maybe it was better just to, you know, you know, keep people functioning. But it definitely, you know, it created a great opportunity. Yeah, I have a podcast coming up in the future on um, privacy uh, aspect and Michael. you know privacy, security, and operational efficiency. You know that all three are important. I, it, it is just make it work. You know that's the yeah, operation. Pick, pick two. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, so um, so what were uh, yeah? But were there good safeguards policies? I mean. F5, so do you we, guys monitor uh, employee accounts, that type of thing? Or? We do. Um, I mean, some of the things you were, you know, to finish the second part of that question was like, what do you do? For the big thing was two-factor. Um, we even hear like any two-factor any two factor is better than, you know, one-factor. Two-factor okay. um, so, authentication. Right. Yeah, so that's, you know, the thing you're running on your phone with the little number that changes, it's yeah. a pain in the butt, but it will save your bacon. Uh, and there's a lot of it's available for free now. So you can kind of integrate that pretty easily. Yes. It's just a matter of dealing with the users. And it, it is, and I, I admit, it's hard. It's hard for users to figure this out and make it work. And, uh, I, and we actually have written articles on like, here's some advice. Yeah, I, I equate it to fastening the seatbelt. I'm old enough that we went through that transition from none, yeah. none in the vehicle <laughs> to right. some, but you're using it on the highway to where you now, my wife feels <laughs> naked if all of a sudden she realizes her seatbelt's not on. Yeah. Well, you could say it's also the same about wearing a mask. I mean, it's yeah. funny because my kids get it. They get the mask thing, and that's the adults that don't seem to get it. Right. And we're seeing that in the digital world, too. It's like the kids seem to understand, like, a lot of the technology stuff, of course. Yes. Um, but, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I remember when they started to put a lock on your cell phone. When you picked it up, you had to <laughs> unlock it. And I thought, oh, what a pain in the butt. But now, you know. You got facial recognition. I've got that turned yeah. on. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, and yeah. Actually, I prefer the thumb one because I don't have to look at my phone to turn it on. <laughs> I realize it's not as accurate. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's a, a big one was two factor, and that a lot of companies were slow to roll that out, but now they're you know you're seeing that um, education plays a factor. I mean, be of, of education is hard because it requires constant vigilance. So I, my education advice is often just like. Well, make, make people aware of the threat. Let, you know, even having this conversation or listening to this podcast is just to realize like, hey, some of that email I'm going to get is going to be fake. You know, maybe I should think twice before I kind of click on things. Just adding that seed of doubt. And then the other piece of education is like, if you see something that you're not happy about, just ask. Usually you've got, you know, your IT support guys or maybe a, you know, a techie friend be like, I got this thing. I'm not sure. I don't want to click on it. And, you know, if you're in an organization and you ask about that, then the, the help desk can be like, oh, yeah, that's a fish. And, yeah. you know, they can actually warn the rest of the organization what that looks like and block it. So it gives you that opportunity. Okay. Well, you know, uh, many people, I mean, there's huge companies, you know, out there, corporations, but there's also the small business out there. So what basic cyber hygiene could a small business or businesses implement right now to protect themselves and their employees? The two factors, a good one. I mean, it's not, you know, there's a lot of them that are free, like, you know, Google Authenticator. 
Um, I use that for a number of personal things. It, it's it's free and it's it's you know it's easy to put on things. Um, patching some of the most basic patching. I mean, no one can patch everything honestly, just because it's so much to patch. But you patch the things that touch the internet, so the browser, the email systems, the remote access stuff. You know that's not too painful, and, and it's absolutely like one you know a great line of defense. Um, you know, limiting to what people can connect with at home, because you also have like all this stuff people have at home. So if you're, they're connecting to the, the company network, the small, you know, remote access network, at least kind of say like, okay, you know, use your company laptop and it's configured this way. Um, you know, and these are, you know, essentially low-cost things, especially for a small organization, it's not hard to kind of corral the troops to do that. Okay. And, um, you know, if you don't have company issued, uh, laptops and they they don't have the wherewithal to do that. Is is VPN a good alternative solution? It, well, it's it's one of thing you know many things to use. A VPN is a, is is a good protection tool. It's not the only one. I would say if anything else, especially if they're using home computers, make sure there's antivirus on it. It's I mean it's something that's been with us for like what thirty years, thirty five years. We've had antivirus, and surprise surprise, it's not perfectly effective, but it's pretty good. And, but you, you know, you surprise a lot of anti people who get, you know, malware or whatever. It's like, well, there is no antivirus running or there's like, it's expired or the signature is not updated. So yeah. that's, you know, especially true on home computers because people just, they, they get the computer and it comes with some free virus, antivirus that runs out after a few months because they got to yeah. buy it and they don't buy it. Um, up that, make sure they've got something and it's, it's current. That's, that'll, that'll buy them a lot. Okay. And something as simple you know i've seen these really big uh the mirth shipping thing if you remember that hit uh, yes. two three years ago it was yes. i think microsoft word was not patched and that was the entry point into so, how they were brought down and that was i, I want to say 300 million dollar yes loss or more was, it might have been much more than that that was i believe during wanna cry and so when you have things like the way ransomware works without going into a whole to-do is it moves into an organization, usually by phishing. Um, so then somebody's computer is infected. And usually if that person has ele elevated privileges in the organization, it starts what we call pivoting laterally, meaning it's now going to move sideways through the company in different ways that it got in. And, and those, you know, it's got mechanisms that's going to look for open file shares. So if you've got a network and you've got open file shares, lock them down and by open file shares I mean like hey any authenticated user on the network can access this file share if you got something like ransomware running around it's going to be there and it's going to screw those files up and okay. um, it's going to you know go for domain controllers those are other things that are going to get infected and they touch everything and that's actually one of the things that hit Merck pretty hard because once you've got a domain controller you can take out the entire network globally very quickly and of course the, the bad guys they go after those they, they know that Right. I, I think it was that particular event where they shut everything down and they were able to find some place in their network, uh, I'm talking about internationally, international thing, right. that had not been touched by the virus. Right. And they flew somebody there. They yeah, told everybody, unplug everything. And they found one device, you know, in their huge network of computers that was not infected so they could rebuild off of that. Right, and th those were domain controllers. It was a domain controller that was offline okay. at that moment. So All right, well, it's nasty. Fortunately, 
Fortunately, I don't have a domain controller. I, I suppose it's my brain, but we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor right now, and then we'll be right back. This podcast is being sponsored by Cobra, an emergency management software solution. Cobra provides a cloud-based EOC software that is intuitive, collaborative, and affordable. Visit cobrasoftware.com. Well, welcome back. Uh, my guest today is Ray Pompom, F5 Director, and we're talking about cybersecurity and a pandemic. Um, uh, we've talked, Ray, a little bit about how we secure uh, employee-connected devices. Uh, anything more to say about mobile devices or I guess the other aspect of this, we're so much in the cloud today. Is that another cyber risk for companies? Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> um, there, <laughs> but I mean, so, well, let's start with the mobile. There's a lot more mobile malware running around now, and a lot of it is around stealing your password or injecting itself into the transaction because of course people are doing banking with their phones um and you're seeing a lot of fake stuff on the on the the app store so it's like hey i think i'm downloading you know the you know the happy puppy game and it's really got this trojan in the background that's that's um, trying to grab my password uh all right you're just making my world tougher so. <laughs> all right. um the and then when you talk about the cloud so the cloud is kind of like a double-edged sword if you move to the cloud intelligently and thoughtfully, carefully, it actually can increase your security. But a lot of people do what they call a lift and shift, meaning like, I'm just going to take my infrastructure that I have and just copy it to a cloud environment. Not only is that bad from a security standpoint, it actually will cost you a ton of money because it's not taking advantage of, of what the cloud is good at, which is dynamic scaling. So, you know, we've written a, a many series of articles on F5 Labs. That's, you know, the part of F5 I work for, the, the research department, F5labs.com, um, where we talk about some of the nuances there about moving to the cloud. I think the biggest thing is when we, we talk about security, we talk about your footprint or your threat surface. So how much of you, I'm waving with my arms because that's really cool on a podcast. Um, how much of your organization are you exposing to the internet? And when you move to the cloud, if you're not careful, you expose everything, um, especially if you turn off all the default security, because that's often what happens. It's like nothing's working right in the cloud. Well, I'll just keep turning things off till it works. So now it works. Well, that's because you've just opened your footprint to the entire world. And now it's like things that you used to have back in your data center behind your firewalls and routers are now sitting in the cloud for anybody to see. And we've actually been tracking breaches and security incidents in that area. And big companies fall trapped to this because they just, you know, the developers don't realize that they've exposed a bunch of stuff. So okay. it's, it's, you know, a lot of our advice to IT folks is be aware of what you look like. Scan yourself, do inventory, think about what you look like. And that will give you an idea of how to manage it. Okay. Well, I, you know, the, in, um, I've, I've heard the, Phrase goes up to like I'm sure you could repeat it faster. That there's only uh, two types of organizations: those that have had a cyber attack and those that will have a cyber attack. So, um, <laughs> what, or it's those who don't know that they've had. A that, cyber that's attack. right. That's, that's correct. Three types, right? Um, so how? No, actually, <laughs> <laughs> is there another one? No, there's really all, there's the everybody's getting some level of attack and it's just a matter of like, is it going to be a little pinprick or are you going to bleed out? So, okay. 
So let's make the basic assumption it will happen and that there would be a breach, a, a threat. So what could an organization do now to be proactive, uh, be prepared when there is a you know, security breach? So uh, the concept we actually refer to actually uh, when we write is called assume breach. Um, it's a known concept in the security industry. It basically says like, hey, somebody clicked on a phishing link, now what? But assume that somebody will, because somebody will. In a big enough organization, somebody will. What does that mean? And I'll even go back to the advice I gave earlier. One, know what you've got, because when something gets in, it's sort of like it's going to go everywhere. So you've got to kind of figure out where things are. And then we do what we call compartmentalize, which kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about hardening some of your interior. So that if like, you know, one guy gets it, it doesn't spread to like 5,000 people, but it's just that maybe takes out 10. And so you actually start building internal firewalling, you build in better logging. So you're looking at your logs to see it and go get, contain it. Um, you're hardening your domain controller so that it doesn't take out everything at once. And, and being aware of where your data is. So, you know, there's been a lot of breaches where it's like, I had no idea that my email was full of all this confidential patient information. This is a common medical breach looks like that. And it's like, well, guess what? Your email just got popped and now that's all out there. And now you're a HIPAA notification. So. Okay. Well, how about, um, I, I just, I'm a big believer in what, you know, find a good organization, find a good leader. So with that thought in mind, have you seen a change in leadership in companies, corporations on how cybersecurity is viewed and prioritized with the pandemic? Uh, and does that change include more money in the budget for, for cybersecurity resources? Um, it depends on the organization. So in a lot of cases, we've seen it go the other way because organizations are tightening down because you know the pandemic's hurt them financially. So the, the security team or the IT team has less to work with. So they've got to think scrappy and, and kind of think more strategically. Um, the organizations who were already kind of ready to do remote access did well and, and are doing well. Those who are like doing it for the first time are kind of still kind of scrambling around and having a hard time. And then of course they're getting beat on. And you know, you see that in the public sector, schools are just getting, you know, totally beat on because it's, you know, they're doing remote for the first time and they don't yeah. have deep technical exp expertise on hand. Um, so, you know, it's kind of all over the map. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's, I would think it's a huge opportunity to um, raise awareness of cybersecurity within an organization, even if it doesn't come from directly from the top and the executive leadership. So there's definitely been it. a lot of, yes, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been more communication. It's more of a chance to say, like, this is the excuse to roll out two-factor, because often two-factor is the users don't like it. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. And so the, this is the excuse. We need to, you know, everybody's remote. I don't, you know, I can't be secure. We need to get two-factor out there. So it's, it's a good opportunity for that. Okay. Use the crisis to make progress, right? Yeah. No, yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, last question here is, you know, we're now, I don't know, maybe eight months, something like that, into the pandemic. So we've had months working from home. This looks likely to continue for many months until we have a vaccine and you know full immunization of American public those that want it it could be uh, well into the second quarter even third quarter we don't have a vaccine approved yet but that's 
yeah. So we're talking optimistic. Yeah, well into 2021. So with that in mind, what long-term cybersecurity goals or priorities should organizations be working towards, whether policy or operational? A number of organizations have pretty much said we're going remote forever for a lot of folks. Um, so it's you know it's it's that's not a bad thing. I mean, so one of the things that we like to talk about, and this is more of a security thing, is a concept called zero trust. It was a lot harder to do when people weren't remote, but that's the concept that no matter who or what you are, when you connect to something, we don't trust you until we can. Okay. And so that's you know I see that's going to be keep becoming more and more important. So that, that sounds like trust. To, verify then trust. <laughs> Yeah, verify a lot. And every time you do something, a lot of, you know, traditional security is like, okay, we're going to authenticate you and now you can see everything. Where zero trust is like, well, first of all, I don't care whether you're working from home or you're working in the office. I'm going to authenticate you to this much. Oh, you're going to touch this database of payroll. I'm going to re-authenticate you even more to make sure. And, and, you know, you just kind of get to the thing, like everything is untrusted. I'm going to authenticate the heck out of it as you move around. You know, a lot of organizations are hybrid. So there's someone in the cloud, there's someone on prem, you know, every, so in that case, almost everybody is remote. So you're, you're really doing a lot of authentication. You're watching every connection and seeing like, oh, he's doing something unusual where you've got machine learning anomaly detection. Like, wow, he's, he's gone somewhere he's never gone before. We've actually seen cases where it's like, wow, this guy, this sysadmin logged into a web server on the internet and then um, half a minute later they logged into a domain controller deep in the network that's suspicious and so yeah. you know the, the anomaly system popped it up you know yep that's a that's malware moving through the system so okay. we're gonna see more of that that's it's powerful it's useful all right well I'll go back shields up <laughs> <laughs> so and yeah i just want to say that brings us to the end of our program i want to say thank you to Ray Pompom, F5, for being a guest here on Disaster Zone podcast. <laughs> or, you know. So, Ray, uh, this has been informative podcast on cyber threats we face and steps organizations can take to protect their operations. One last reminder to each of you to be safe and think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster, to include protecting your digital self. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Disaster Zone podcast. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters and what people and organizations are doing about them. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.